Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're a golf lover, join in on fun discussions about golf from the perspective of two plugged-in Minnesota golf geeks, Brad Cole and David Branstad. This is 10,000 Swings. Hello and welcome back to 10,000 Swings. It is Monday, June 21st, 2021. I'm Brad Cole. I'm David Branstad. And with us this week is Phil Mackey. Gentlemen, we were just patting ourselves on the back and dislocating our shoulders. That would be uh, Branny and myself for both correctly predicting the winner of the 2021 U.S. Open. So if anybody has any, uh, any sort of uh, gifts or any praise you want to shower upon us, now would be the time to do so. And, and since you guys yeah. are so good at predicting things, we uh, maybe we'll have to challenge your, uh, your stock game as well. Because uh, Jarrett Yalen did not pick John Rahm this week, but Jarrett Yalen is really good at anything finance related. So 10,000 Swings is brought to you by Jarrett Yalen with Northwestern Mutual. Whatever financial questions you have, give Jarrett a call today at 612-209-4523 or check out his website at JarrettYalen.com. Just four years ago, Jarrett and I were actually at the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills selling shirts in the merchandise tent. And now he's, uh, now he's out navigating people's financial futures. So Jarrett Yalen, give him a shout. And again, I'm pretty sure he did not have John Rahm, but Phil and Branny did. John Rahm, <laughs> well, I mean, we can't say enough, right? You know what? Here, here's the deal. I think, Phil, you and I are obviously intelligent minds when it comes to, to picking golf here. But I think Phil has actually a different intelligent mind that I just want to throw out there right away. Did we know that Phil Mackey is also the self-proclaimed bob costas of the bachelorette <laughs> uh in fact uh yeah i've got i've got two media gigs tonight uh 10,000 swings and then bachelorette commentary i listen i saw chris harrison got got bought out from his contract after 20 years and i am going for the crown baby sign me up <laughs> i love it who's, so who's your pick then uh, I, I got to be honest, I don't know all of their names yet, but uh, the guy who dressed up in a cat suit and made out with, uh, what's her name, uh, Katie, on the first episode, it's a pretty bold move, and she seemed to be into the cat suit. So I'm going to say uh, that guy at least gets to Fantasy Suite Week for sure. <laughs> wow, I, uh, we're approximately three minutes into this show, and this has gone downhill quickly. Um, we, uh, we, we really want to get into the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines this week. We want to talk about a little uh, Royal Rumble at a Corn Ferry Monday qualifier and then uh, also finish up with a little Minnesota State High School tournament highlights. But, you know, we've already gone the route of someone in a cat costume making out with someone. So we're, uh, 
This is this is definitely taking some turns. So, Phil, <laughs> I want to back up a couple weeks. John Rahm at the Memorial, cruise control. So much cruise control that when he was told he had a WD after a six-stroke lead and testing positive for COVID after Saturday, all sorts of places in Vegas paid out the bets. They paid out the bets on him because that's how commanding his lead was and how you know the tournament was over, right? Now we fast forward. He does his quarantine. He didn't have any major health issues. He comes out and he wins the U.S. Open in some of the most dramatic fashion of all time, right? Uh, tell us your thoughts on like what's gone on with John Rahm the last couple of weeks. Like what a whirlwind, right? It is amazing. So I yeah, I saw I saw some of those stories too about about Casino. My first thought was, wow, sports books. That's awfully generous. You know, Greg Norman blew a six stroke lead at the Masters in the '90s. Like a six stroke lead's not a guarantee. Like he probably would have won. Uh, but I suppose if you're a sports book, it's pretty petty to collect on that and say, oh, we got you. <laughs> COVID, right? It's more of a long-term gain. Hey, let's make these betters feel good so they'll come back and spend some money and help us build the next uh, casino hotel. But um, I thought it was an amazing story. And, you know, John Rahm has always been known as one of the hotheads on the PGA Tour, right? Like he just has he'll, – he'll have these little emotional meltdowns that have cost him chances to win majors in the past – and it was kind of amazing just hearing him talk throughout the week and then hearing him talk after the tournament about how meditative and zen he's been, you know, looking to take something negative and turn it into a positive and talking about the power of positive thinking. I mean, you guys can tell me, but I don't think that's been his M.O. throughout his career, like pot, power of positive thinking guy. But maybe being a dad and uh, maybe just being happy in his family. And quite frankly, like, even though he hasn't won a major, he is one of the richest golfers in the world, too. So maybe he's had some perspective these last few months of, I'm rich, I got an amazing wife, I have a kid. You know what? Eh, it's not so bad. Maybe I don't have to treat everything like life and death. And boom, it unlocked his first major. That's sort of how I looked at the last couple weeks. So the reason I actually picked Rom um, this week, because I took the pissed off approach. I'm like, Rom is going to be, uh, he's going to be heated. He is going to be fired up. And maybe he was internally, and he's, he spun it uh, to the power of attitude instead. But, yeah, everything that we've seen from him of the past, that's why I thought this was a lock. This is, he's going to walk in there and he's going to step on people, except he did it in a much more professional way. Yeah. He and, is like, by it, the way, those two putts on 17 and 18 on Sunday, I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, those are... and. It, 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 it's because he was out in front by like three holes. It didn't seem quite as dramatic because like those putts were for the win. But because we still had to see Ustuzen play out the last two or three holes, um, it wasn't quite as dramatic as if he were playing in the last group and sank those putts. Boom, boom, and good night, Irene. Uh, but like those, those are two of the clutchest putts we've seen in years at a major. Right? If he doesn't make either one of those putts, they're playing. Like, if he misses both, he loses, right? Because Ustuzen wound up birdieing 18. If he misses one of those two putts, they're playing, what, an 18-hole uh, match play, basically, on Monday? So he had to make both of those big-breaking putts to win that tournament. And the other thing, too, is um, it's it's the PGA Tour and golf always needs, like, the likable or even the villainous in the case of Sergio, but the, but the Spaniard, right? Seve... And and then Sergio, and now this is this is sort of John Rahm's time for the next ten to fifteen years to be. I think I think he has a chance to be more of a lovable Seve type Spaniard than uh, Sergio, who is very whiny and complainy and 
had you know it took him thirty seconds to pull the trigger on a shot. I think John Rahm, if this was if this was professional wrestling, John Rahm would be like this would be the good guy turn for him at the U.S. like the COVID thing and then the U.S. Open and now he's a good guy. So I'm in. I'm in on John Rahm. So only only three other players have birdied their seventy first and second holes to win a U.S. Open yet. Hogan at Oakmont in 1953, Nicholas at Baltusrol in 1980, and Watson at Pebble Beach in 82. So he's got some pretty good wow. company in the way he finished this event. Well, here's here's my biggest question, though, because you're talking about how Rom just maybe needed to chill out a little bit, right? And the guy who's always probably too chill, Louie, I would love to have seen what Louie would have done if Rom hadn't gotten a six. You know, like if it was truly because let's face it, Louis still hasn't won in America as insane as that sounds. He hasn't won in America. Wow. He's he's been playing major events for over 11 years. He's got the career Grand Slam and then some uh, cue up the Andre Day uh, Rise Up song and uh, that he killed social media with a couple of years ago when he got the career Grand Slam and people are like, what is he going to do? And he actually uh, basically lip synced that entire song on an airplane, which is one of the funniest things you'll ever see if you check it out on YouTube. His point, though, he just he's just always there, but he doesn't seem to have that killer mentality. And Rom has that killer mentality. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a couple months ago. John Rom is the guy going for. It. He has that burning in him, and it, we thought it was Brooks Kepka, but what Brooks Kepka did on hole eighteen alone this week was kind of mind boggling. I mean, it seemed like every day you watch Brooks Kepka finish on eighteen, which should be a par three point eight for him. And you're watching him make fives and all these things. It's like, you know, three putts from places where Rom is one putting. It just seemed to me like Rom has kind of grabbed the torch right now. And this is maybe this whole COVID thing was like the final, like, okay, I'm not messing around anymore. Like, you guys knew I was good, but now I'm the guy. And Louis's like, hey, I'll take second. You know, like, <laughs> that's, that's my jam. You know, for Louis, too, it's like, you know, he's, he's not a big bomber like, like some of these other guys. Like, Rom hits the ball a mile and DeShambo and, I'm sure we'll talk about DeChambeau's back nine meltdown at some point, but um, it was like going to going to 18. Even the announcer, like almost any other golfer, you would play it up like this is why a par five on the 18th is so great because you know hit the ball even if he misses the fairway, he's probably going to take a run into. But because it was Louis, it was like oh he missed the fairway, so he's for sure laying up, and then he's got the whole one from like 80 yards. It was like there was no drama, and even the commentators were like, yeah, this thing's over. <laughs> that's described perfectly the dude's got like eight top three finishes in majors alone it it just hangs around i saw something on social media uh just today it was like well at least he didn't finish second (laughs) or something like that (laughs) the guy he shows up and plays but yeah there's not the it factor to it you know what i think in the absence of not having tiger on tour right now the tour's kind of missing some domination. And if you look at the players that made the cut this week, I mean, we had some action. We had Rory in the mix for a while. We had Rom, and obviously Rom not in the mix, but winning it. But this could be a kind of an, an avenue for these players to take grab and do something pretty cool in the absence of now what I'm going to, I know I said he's going to come back and win, and I still firmly believe that, but we're starting our post-Tiger era of golf. Yeah, and even if he does come back, like he's never... Like he's never going to play anything resembling a full schedule again, and he's probably just because of injuries not going to play all four majors in a year. I, I would be shocked if that happened. And real quick, and maybe I'm just jumping ahead here, but uh, you mentioned Rory. I have a theory on Rory, 
So I think there, there's there's the Rory reality, which and he's been open about this, saying he got too obsessed with trying to hit bombs and like kind of got away from what made him a great player. But the other thing I think he gets hung up on on Sunday at some of these majors is he thinks he has to shoot 63 every time to win. And if he were to just play steady and not have those – like because he's trying to shoot 63 – he has these double bogey holes or like you know these shots that are too risky for the moment. If he could go back and just try to play steady golf for four hours on Sunday, I think he would have been in the mix. But like in his mind, everyone's shooting low, and so it's like, no, dude, everyone's melting down. <laughs> and so sometimes I think he just needs to like, like, like sixty three would be great, dude. But like just let everyone melt down around you. I mean that's how Tiger Woods won a lot of his majors. Everyone else is melting down around him, and he is just parring out, and and he's and he's got a firm grasp on the steering wheel. Phil, you just referenced what Rory needed to do in these majors on Sunday. He started one shot ahead of John Rahm. Mm-hmm. He shoots sixty-eight. He's in a playoff. He shoots seventy-three, and he finishes T ten or whatever it ended up being. Right? He you know he falls to T seven, but again he's he's pressing almost too much. And when you look at that golf course and you look at his game, six under gets in a playoff. Well, he should play hole 18 alone, four under. Mm -hmm. He just plays the rest of the course, two under. And again, like one of the longest, straightest hitters out there, like this is set up for him. And he just, it just seems like, I think you're spot on. He presses a little too much and, and you could almost say the same for Brooks, right? Like Brooks was right there on Sunday. He was three under at the turn. He, you know, he had... I think he just uh, made a, a dumb bogey on 16, just missed birdie on 17, and then missed one again on 18. All of a sudden, you know, he could have easily posted five or six. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting how many of these guys are trying to hit the gas pedal in these big major moments. And maybe they just need to kind of steady as she goes. And that's I, I think that's part of why Louie's always around, right? He just doesn't really do anything crazy. Um you know, he's maybe he'll never win because he doesn't have the same fire in the belly as some of the other winners. But my gosh, the guy is just so good and so solid. And David, I want your opinion of all these swings at the top of the leaderboard. Obviously, Rory has a beautiful swing. Brooks has a great swing. Ram has a good swing. Is there a better swing in golf than Louis Oosthuizen? Dude, it's it's pretty fluid and um, a really good tempo to it. It's it's good. You know, they're referencing on the last couple holes when him and his instructor work on tempo. He gets a little quick and he tends to yank it left a little bit. Uh, but no, it's a great swing. And to your guys' point though of, of McElroy, I've always argued that on Sundays, his, his, his arms get a little behind him. I think you guys are right. He presses too much and it's a common theme under these elite players. Like you don't have to shoot 63. You shoot 68 every single day. And I'm sorry, at the end of your 20 year career, you're going to be just counting dollars in the bank. Yeah. The, the other thing, too, is like this is I, I looked it up just to verify because I thought I remembered this being the case when Tiger won at Torrey in 2008. But the first round goes off and 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 everyone thinks, OK, well, so uh, the lead is minus three or minus four. In 2008, the lead was minus three after the first round. Uh, this year it was minus four Louis Oosthuizen and Russell Henley. And so you're you know, every other golf tournament you play in. All right, so minus four, and then the day two lead is going to be minus seven, and then like you're going to have to get to like minus twelve to win the tournament, right? That's not how the U.S. Open works. The U.S. Open oftentimes the winning score is going to be worse than the day one leader's score. And in 2008 at Torrey Pines, 
Uh, the day one leader, minus three, Tiger Woods won the tournament or went into a playoff the next day with Rocco Media at minus one. They were the only two players under par because the conditions get tougher. Um, they, you know, the pin placements are just, like I thought I saw 14 pin placements on Sunday this year that were within like five or six paces of the edge of the green. That's ridiculous. But that's how they get the scores to level off after the first round. And so you don't need to shoot 63. You just need to shoot par or a couple under. Uh, and and you're going to be in it. And it's like these guys forget that sometimes. I think Rory's probably as guilty as anyone of that. T- Tiger's leg was also broken that year. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? It's a good point. But there was the only. I'd have to fact check this. The only runaway that I can remember was the Pebble Beach U.S. Open with Tiger. I mean, other than that, n- no one's gone that deep. No one's gone that low and blown out of field in the U.S. Open. This is. Boy, what were there, 10, 15 guys within a shot going into the back nine? Mm-hmm. This and week, a lot of was... marquee players, too. I mean, it was yeah. a really, really good leaderboard, and it was very entertaining. Um, Phil, you brought up a little bit about Tory. So this is the second time Tory's hosted the U.S. Open, and I always think it's kind of interesting when a regular tour event gets to host a major as well. It's always kind of, you know, you hear feedback from people. They say one another. Tory Pines in June is not Tory Pines in late January. <laughs> and, it, you know, obviously you only play the south course, right? You don't have the north and the south. But that golf course was so much different and so much more difficult. You know, the tour event, normally the winner is between like 8 and 15 under. And this week, obviously, no one got to that point. What do you think about Tory? Uh, you know, as being a, first of all, being a regular tour stop, Second of all, being a major host, like I think this course, I thought it was great, but mm-hmm. I know there's plenty of people that were chirping. What, uh, what, what do you guys think? Like as far as Tory ranking against other U.S. Open courses, like it, hate it? What's your, what's your take? I'll give you my quick take, and then I'm sure David will have much more of a like a smart, in-depth golf take than I will here. But <laughs> I, I for the U.S. Open because guys hit it so far and scores are so low, and the regular tour events are all a race to minus twenty, and that's fun. It's super fun. But I, I gauge a good U.S. Open by how hard is it to finish the tournament under par. I just want to I, I want to see these guys, and I don't want it to be gimmicked. Like there, what was that course? Uh, Might have been up in my neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest, where Dustin Johnson three putted from twelve feet to blow the major on eighteen. Uh, Chambers, Chambers Bay. Bay. Chambers Bay. And like, well, the greens were bumpy, right? And so it was just it was kind of a gimmicky course, right? I don't want it to be gimmicked out, but I want these guys to be... I don't want there to be a minus 18 or a minus 15. Like, these guys should be grinding to get below par, and uh, we should we should see some meltdowns on Saturday and Sunday, and it should be a battle of attrition. And so, from that standpoint, Torrey Pines has been great the last two times it's hosted the U.S. Open. That's a really good point, Phil. And you, do, you bring up the minus 18, minus 20, and I do want to acknowledge that the... Show 10,000 Swings is brought to you by the 3M Open. And the winner of the 3M Open we this year will probably... We love low scores, by the way. Will probably I, I take be back everything under, I just said. 22 under, maybe 25 <laughs> under. We are all about birdies. And a quick plug from them. The 3M Open is open. We did not have fans last year. So now it's time to be a fan. You can be a golf fan, a Thompson fan, a Wolf fan, a food fan, a get-outside fan, a sports fan, and anything fan. We need fans for the 3M Open. It's going to be gorgeous. End of July. Come outside. Get loud. Uh, I believe there are no restrictions at this point. No masks. Everyone, go outside. 
watch some golf, have clothing, a blast. Clothing is optional. I mean, just no <laughs> restrictions whatsoever. Exactly. So July 19th to the 25th at the TPC Twin Cities in Blaine. Tickets are available now at 3mopen.com backslash tickets. Uh, should be really fun. And again, kind of the opposite of Tory Pines, right? Like this will be a birdie fest. So come out. Grab a cold beverage, watch some guys throw some darts. We don't have the field confirmed yet. Uh, it should be interesting to see who plays, but we know we'll have some some young guns. I think the first two years of the event, the winners were Matthew Wolf and Michael Thompson. Is that correct, mm-hmm. David? I think so. That yeah, is Matthew correct. Wolf, sure. And actually, and actually, Wolf had Wolf put it together a little bit this week. He's been struggling this year, and I, I was proud to see him come back. And uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly where he finished here. I could probably T, look it up quick. T fifteen plus one. T fifteen. Yeah. yeah, good for him. Like he he put some stuff together, and I'm I'll try to be as politically correct about this as I as I can, knowing where you guys all know I work. Um, I love seeing birdies. You know, it's fun. TPC Twin Cities, three M Open does a great job. I can tell you the fan experience this year is also going to be incredibly elevated. So it's going to be a really fun event. And yeah, the winners are going to shoot twenty under par. Because for one week out of the year, there's never any wind for these guys out there. You come out there any other week of the year, and it's blowing <laughs> 30, and the golf course is impossible. But but I'm I'm with you guys. I like seeing, and I actually heard some praise from a lot of people about uh, Tory this week, where the USGA didn't try to overprotect par for once. They didn't make this just a bloodbath of bogeys. It was fair. It was firm. It was hard. You could even kind of see towards the end of the week on Sunday too. Some of the telecasts, the fairways were getting a little uh, a little burnt out there, so they were definitely keeping it firm, fast, and dry. But mm-hmm. I thought the course was great, and I'm I'm generally not one that likes having regular PJ Tour stops host also major events. I always I kind of I've always liked the major events just being their own thing. Tory, for whatever reason, though, I I I really like. I mean, it's. It's hosted it great now twice, and obviously, I'm, I think I'm a little biased because of, of 2008 and the infatuation I had with that just whole event that year, which uh, Tori actually put a plaque out on hole 18. I think it was hole 18 this year, uh, commemorating that putt that Tiger made. But it, Tori's great. It's it showcases this event well. The, the 08 leaderboard is amazing. Like, can, and maybe you guys have this just etched in your brains, but um, can you name? Let's see here. T6. Looks like there were... And then you had five guys tied T9. So you had, uh, I don't know, like 14 guys uh, T9 or better at this tournament. Can you name the other ones? Or how many of them can you name besides Tiger Woods and Rocco Mediate? It is not a who's who. It is not a who's um, who. The only one I can tell you for sure before my Google refreshes here, and I can actually look this up, is... Uh, I know Lee Westwood was up there, wasn't he? Yeah, one back. That's It's probably... He he's had a couple close calls, but like uh, one back of playing in the playoff the next day for him. Yeah, it's it's a pretty awesome board if you look at it. Because yeah, I only remember Tiger and Rocco. That's all I remember about that event. But you look at you got the mechanic T six. Uh, Jimenez Carl, was T six in that. Look at that. Yeah, Ogilvy, Carl, Carl Peterson, who's also been known as my uh, doppelganger on tour. Um, <laughs> we've got uh, before Harry Higgs, obviously. Um, yeah, right. You know, we've got Jeff Ogilvy, Brant Snedeker still are, wow. still in the game. Stuart Sturley Sink, Snedeker, yeah. Stuart, Stuart Sink's been hot lately. Uh, Ernie Els, Retief Goosen, kind of a a fun. It's just crazy to think about how many different generations Tiger has beaten up on. Um, Anthony Kim sighting at T twenty six. How about that? 
I mean, it's it's it is funny when you look back at that and how much the game has changed in just 13 years. But I hope Tory gets another U.S. Open soon. I thought they did a great job. I think that hey, look, team, Anthony Kim was still playing. Exactly, T26, uh, very impressive. So, um, I think at hole 18, in my opinion, on the regular tour stops for the year, hole 18 is a top five finishing hole, and uh, in, in any tour event, and I think it's a top five hole that's played on the tour in a regular year. I would say, me, you know, my personal opinion, TPC Sawgrass hole 17 is probably the best hole, uh, and in every year. You know, pick anything at Augusta from the back nine. That's going to be up there. Uh, obviously, 16 at Scottsdale. You can make a case that 16 and 17, that combo at TPC Scottsdale is really fun. Um, but I'm saying Torrey Pines, hole 18 on the south course. That, I mean, because guys make three and seven. And that's mm-hmm. what we want to see at the finish, right? What, what do you think, Phil? What are your, does, is that jive with you? Or you think that's a crazy statement? No, I love it. I mean, I, I love the Pebble Beach closing holes. Um, those are iconic as well. But, I mean, you got to have some, you know, sawgrass. It's it's white knuckle, right? Like, it's a it's a pitching wedge or a sand wedge for these guys. And, and ultimately, like, if it was just grass instead of water around the green, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But it's like the pressure, the crowd, uh, the theater of it. Uh, so you got to have some white knuckle holes like that in the equation. But I also, I love the, I love par fives to finish like that is it's such a great idea because like you said it's realistic that someone could could eat because didn't Ustus and didn't he eagle on on saturday like so you could eagle the drama you could also you could you know you could overheat a drive and find yourself just hacking around the thick rough and struggle to shoot a bogey so i think i think more courses and more majors should look to put par fives as the finishing hole just to create that type of drama it's almost like in basketball like allowing a team to call a timeout and advance the ball to half court like it just builds in more drama oh there's one second left but they get now they get to inbound from half court and so we might get to see a game-winning three-pointer or something a par five at the end just builds in more fun and more drama so i love it this is not me throwing this hole into the equation of best finishing holes on tour by any means but do you guys remember the inaugural 3m open what happened on 18 on sunday Par five, Wolf makes three, makes yeah. Eagle to beat out Bryson. Yeah, it, I was right. It, it, this is super exciting stuff when that happens, and it, it's funny you guys all said that because I just kind of going through some show notes here about best finishing holes. I just I wrote in there um, every single hole on the back nine at Augusta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm just gonna throw in the entire the entire back nine. The other one I actually really like is the 18th at Bay Hill. Okay, that's caused some drama over the years. And I like that one. Otherwise, I agree with you guys completely. Pebble, Tory, yeah, it is. Sawgrass is white knuckle. That's that's some fearful stuff. In fact, eighteen bothers me more than seventeen probably would. I gotta say, uh, eighteen at Como in St. Paul too, with the, just the uphill, uh, you know, the, the the green, the undulations there when you're coming in trying to break ninety. It's uh, it's very dramatic. You got the patrons watching from the beer deck up to the right. So I throw that one in the mix. What it's a, Brad, Brad? Now I, I forget. What's Rum's 18th like? <laughs> well, when they originally built, when Joel Goldstrand, the the genius that he is, built Rum River Hills National, he originally had Na- the 18th National. Hole. Last year it was Yacht Club. Yeah, last well, week it was Yacht Club. Now we're National. All we're, right. we're trending up. Uh, when okay. he when he built the golf course, the finishing holes were two, you know, holes eight and nine now, and they're two short par fours. 
and they transition it to now the 18th hole. If you were to go from the tee box to the green, it's about a 378-yard shot, par 5. But you have to go out to the left, and you got to keep it out of people's yards. And so it's this – you want to hit a bleeder off the tee to get you in that, like, 160, 170 range. But if you cut off too much, then you go OB. So it's a really – you know, and you want to get make an eagle or a birdie. But I've, I've made an 11, and I've made a 3. I've almost made a 2. So it's – Really, really good drama. And when you have the club championship, you've got anywhere from 200 to 300 patrons mm. on the deck. And the deck is actually like Boeing in the middle, you know, like it's just, it's about, the ship's about to go down, right? And, and we're out there, you know, it's 88 degrees and you got your rain gloves on and you're, you're, you know, you're just holding on for dear life. And then you, you know, you snap, snap hook your second shot in the water and then, you know, you get up and down for eight and everyone claps for you. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all about the drama, right? So par five finishing holes, in my opinion, are where it's at. Yep. And it just, it makes it that much better. And that was Chambers Bay, right? We're talking about DJ when he, you know, he should have had basically a tap in birdie to finish a tournament. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, went a little differently. So, yep. um, Ch- Ch- Chambers Bay was an interesting event. I mean, you know, first U.S. Open out there. First course that really, if Brad, help correct me if I'm wrong here, first course really played in any type of strong fescue grass that didn't show very well on TV. And also, I believe, was that Foxes and Joe Buck's yes. first, and Greg, first event? Joe Buck, Greg Norman, yeah. And then I think... Yeah. If that I'm was not- actually... The beginning of the um, the transformation for uh, Holly Saunders when she kind of took her career a different direction was a, it happened around that time of that event. Uh, I'm not going to go into details, but she's obviously <laughs> transformed herself into different directions than she was going as a former college golfer, uh, Golf Channel background, and uh, working for Fox, uh, doing a majors, and then she's. Gone, gone some different directions since then. The, re- the reason Branny is laughing awkwardly is because he just launched his OnlyFans.com account about a week and a half ago. So he can't he can't really talk. That's the problem. Uh, I think I'm if actually, I'm not I'm mistaken, actually logged in right now. <laughs> busted. <laughs> if, if I'm not mistaken, too, wasn't uh, maybe it was the year after, but Greg Norman got a ton of heat in the broadcast because you just and maybe it was the Dustin Johnson three putt. You just witnessed this epic meltdown. And, like, they didn't even throw it to Greg Norman or ask Greg Norman about epic meltdowns. I just remember that being a big thing on the broadcast that year. Well, Greg Norman knows a thing or two about epic meltdowns. I mean, yeah. so was 77 on Sunday to fall, though? Speaking of 77s on Sunday, what happened to Bryson DeChambeau? Like, he was... He, it looked almost like, wow, he's got to be a three to one favorite going into the back nine, just the way that he's dialed in. Like, he's clearly figured this thing out on Friday and Saturday. And then there were times where they were cutting to him because they stopped showing every shot once he had like the, the the three hole stretch. But like he was duffing shots, and he was like at one point his ball rolled next to uh, uh, well, listen, we love Corona Premier on this show, but it rolled next to a rival beer case, which got about two hundred thousand <laughs> yeah. dollars in free advertising. I mean, that was rough for Bryson on Sunday. I, I, I did see some tweets referencing how much better that would have been if it had been Michelob Ultra. For, uh, for just from a Brooks Kepka standpoint, and uh, uh, good shot, Brooksy. Yeah, uh, just it's. I, I really thought Bryson had this thing won. I, I'm shocked at what took place on the back nine, and you know, I mean, to for him to play the you know bogey eleven, bogey twelve, 
double the par five, 13. And then at that point, he's basically toast. But then to go and make a quad on 17, have no birdies coming in. It was just weird. It was, you really thought he was going to be right there. And um, I was very, very shocked at that. Uh, you know, so he finished with a 77. And crazily enough, he somehow, like him and Patrick Reed, who I always follow both of them because I think they're very polarizing players. Um, Patrick Reed shot 67 and Bryson shot 77. And yeah. they basically, Patrick Reed was in like, you know, 40th or something going into the final round. He finishes top nine, uh, tied for 19th, and uh, Bryson finishes 26. It was just kind of you, you've just hit crazy. on a great talker. So, so Bryson DeChambeau leading the U.S. Open with nine holes to go, and uh, here is a list of players, a, a random list of players that you did not see on TV on Sunday that finished ahead of Bryson DeChambeau for the tournament. You just nail one of them, Patrick Reed, who, who got zero TV time on Sunday. Uh, Didn't Sergio, see him once. Sergio Garcia finished above Bryson DeChambeau. I'm not sure I saw him the whole weekend on TV, but uh, he finished T19. Martin Keimer finished tied with Bryson DeChambeau in this. I haven't seen him on TV in 15 years. Um, also, uh, I don't think Harris English got any TV time, time on Sunday. He finished solo third in this tournament. Zero TV time. <laughs> he, he got he, one he shot. Third. They, they showed him solo. They showed third. his eagle putt. They showed his eagle putt on eighteen to to potentially get to four under, and then they show him tap in for birdie. And they go Harris English, you know, there you go, and he finishes third by himself. That's all he got the entire weekend. <laughs> dude finishes. T- dude wins eight hundred twenty nine thousand dollars solo t third, and it was on TV for forty five seconds combined all weekend. Amazing. It- you know, it's kind of funny to bring that up. This was an awkward TV weekend because of the the leaderboard. Like, it, it's it's constantly changing. Like I said, there's 10, 15 guys within one shot. But did you guys happen to watch the uh, trophy ceremony on the 18th hole after when, the event when, was over? When they botched the flyover timing? The flyover? Oh, my God. Okay, now we're going to turn around for the flyover, and the CEO, the outgoing CEO of the USGA, turns around and looks at the sky. And for, he like, probably an looks awkward for- amount of time. An awkward amount of time before, I can't remember who else was on the 18th green with them, kind of steps in and redoes the interviewing. And then three, four minutes later, the Jets fly over. <laughs> Pro move, by the way. Oh, by the, I, I can't remember the name of the guy from NBC, sideline reporter guy, Steve. I can't either. Something. Sands? Uh, Steve Sands. Sands? Sands. Okay. Sands. Yeah, like pro move by him. Like he realized after about 45 or 60 seconds, like, all right, <laughs> I don't see any jets, so I'm going to hop on the mic here and keep this thing moving. Um, the, 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 the savage move would have been if he didn't do that, and we all just sat there for like three minutes <laughs> just silently. Oh, man. <laughs> so speaking of savage and speaking of Bryson, how awkward is it when Bryson tries to be funny? Okay, so – Brooks is getting interviewed the other day, and Bryson's walking by outside the stands, and he just jumps in the background. And they, you've, the video has gotten viral of him like trying to like, hey, look at me, like trying to like you know <laughs> photo bomb him in an interview. And I'm sure Brooks is just like, dude, I eat pieces of for breakfast, right? <laughs> like, what, what are we doing? And so funny, I mean, they're, they it's they so are, uncomfortable. They are keto friendly pieces of weight, but but they are. <laughs> Okay, Phil, have you ever seen the Bryson diet? Have you seen the breakdown? Because it's literally like six to 10,000 calories per day, depending on the day. And okay. it's just all bacon and eggs. So I, have, uh, I haven't I have seen the rundown of it, but I don't know. Maybe you guys have or haven't seen this. 
he has a weekly YouTube series. He's got his own YouTube channel. And uh, he basically documents his life on tour. And he lives in this, this massive bachelor pad with a bunch of his buddies. And they just try weird things on the golf simulator. They just try to, like, ramp up their swing speed as much as possible. They will they – will, and it's, it's wood floors, by the way, throughout this house. And they will – they've got this little, like, uh, turf – one of those, like, elongated turf putting greens, like those little practice things that everyone has in their house. And so they'll play a game where, with a real golf ball, they'll start in some corner upstairs in this place, and they will have to see how many putts it takes to roll the ball like down three flights of steps and then in and around the couches and stuff. They just screw around, and then they showed a couple shots of him like pounding protein shakes and eating like six eggs for breakfast at you know four thirty in the morning. But it is it's worth checking out. I've kind of come around a little. Like obviously Bryson is who he is. Like. He's seems like he's a pretty insecure dude who's just sort of masquerading by putting on all this muscle and hitting bombs, and good for him. Um, but I think, just to make another professional wrestling argument, I think he's becoming, like, he's sort of embracing his bad guy character, and he's kind of coming into it a little bit. And I, in my opinion on Kepka is, <sighs> Kepka has, like, such a dry, unlikable personality, and he owns it. I think Bryson could come out of this as sort of the good guy of the two of them and the more likable of the two of them when it's all said and done. So we'll see what happens. I, I absolutely had, next, I had no idea about this YouTube channel. I'm actually on it right it now. You got to check it out. This is, fan, this is fantastic. On the, on the next episode of Bryson's YouTube channel, we'll have him trying to court Jenna Sims. That'll be the next, uh, <laughs> next stage of the saga if we're going to give the Phil Mackey wrestling spin on this. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie McMahon, who's she going to end up with? Uh, <laughs> it's, well, let's, just, let's, just think, let's just thank God neither one of them have to qualify for any Corn Fairy Tour events coming up. Oh, my. So before we break down what happened on the Corn Fairy qualifier, we do have to get there. But before we go there... Um, Phil was talking about messing around with your buddies, using a simulator, trying out different things. want to remind our listeners that 10,000 Swings is brought to you by PXG and the new PXG store in Southdale, Minneapolis. Just an awesome store. If you want to get fit for new clubs, that's the place to go. They have all sorts of different price points now. They've got drivers, fairways, hybrids, wedges, everything you can think of, and they have a lot of fun with it too, which is why I think is one of the things I like the most is they've got a great team over there and they have a lot of fun with fitting people for clubs and getting you improvement. And if they can't find improvement, they're not going to sell you something. So go check it out today. PXG Southdale, just an awesome new store uh, right there in Southdale. So that's, as we come back from that, I do want to wrap up before we get into this corn fairy talk, I do want to wrap up a little more about what we saw this week. So the tour has come out during the middle of the U.S. Open and said that as of next year, and this was definitely player-inspired, as of next year, they will no longer be allowing green reading books. And obviously, this has been a huge conversation. Um, is it a pace of play issue? Uh, is it because Augusta already doesn't allow them? Is it because of Bryson? Like, why is the tour doing this? Why are the players doing this? What do you guys think about this choice? I, I'm pro. I think it's great. I think we need to just hit it and chase it and go. Yeah. Uh, I, I watch like DJ and some of these guys. They spend so much time trying to figure out which way the book goes. And you know, back when I was growing up, either you were a good putter or a good caddy, and you could figure it out. Or you couldn't, but like the green reading book just slows it down. I mean, these guys are playing four and a half to five hour rounds as twosomes. What are we doing? Yep. Like, what do you guys think, Brad? 
Brad, do you remember last week um, we had Jerry Yellen on, which is he's all, always an awesome guest to have on. We, I mean, we don't ever touch a hundred of the topics we have for this this show, but we ended the broadcast. What was our conversation about? Do you remember? I was kind of we like were... uh, Will Ferrell in old school. I when we do these, I just kind of black out. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> So, I think you were. I think you were typing up some show notes at the time, and Jared and I were going off because we we're talking about the the arm lock putter controversy. And my whole take on not that I want to spend all this time in arm lock, but my whole take was I don't care about the arm lock putter until they take care of these green reading books. This stuff is stupid. I mean, it shows every single degree, every single angle you can hit a putt. It takes the complete art out of green reading. I'm I'm proud of Augusta for keeping the traditionalism going when it comes to golf because they didn't allow it they, truthfully i'd i know there's politics involved here i'd stop it now but these books are ridiculous to me i don't know if it's a pace of play thing although pace of play is ridiculous on tour especially when they're playing twosomes half the time shouldn't take four and a half five hours for two people to play golf um, but it's the integrity of the game like i don't you played high school golf junior golf college golf at a pretty high level to get to where you're at Without one of these books. Why yeah. now? No, analytics ruining baseball, analytics making basketball more predictable, and analytics ruining golf. I mean, come on. I'm, I'm all for it, too. I, I just, I, you know, it, when you look like 10, 15, 20 years into the future of all sports and how we can track, like, look at all the things you can track just even as a weekend golfer now. If you go, maybe you go out to PXG uh, Minneapolis and you can track your spin rate and you can, like, you can basically program yourself. To be a better golfer, and I think we have to be careful to not lose all of the human element, right? Um, and so, like with Bryson, Bryson can sit there and he can he can use analytics and data to hit the ball farther and to figure out um, you know what angles he can take that have never been taken on certain par fours and par fives. But ultimately, what a third of your shots, a quarter of your shots are going to have to take place on the green or around the green, maybe more than that. Uh, and I love the fact that there's an art to it, right? Like th- that should be less scientific and more art in my opinion. And now I'm getting – now I sound like an old like 60-year-old back-in-my-day guy. And I'm an analytics guy, but I love the fact that they're preserving the art of golf. But, but, think you, about- but here's, here's my deal. Like here's and I, and I believe me, I've got a lot of high-end players that we use TrackMan all the time when it comes to teaching. But at some point when you're playing golf on the golf course – you don't have TrackMan behind you or whatever your, whatever scope you're using, flight scope or, or whatnot. Those numbers don't matter. This is about a score. You have to go out there and you have to post a number and you have to post a score. And I'm sorry, but their green reading, green speed, and putting is an art. This is not this or should not be scientific based. And I, I know there's science behind it, but we're, we, like we were talking earlier. These guys are shooting 20 under par for most of these tournaments. Why do we need to aid in them shooting lower scores than that? I don't no, know. It's a really I'm good point. I mean, I think the, the PGA with Phil Mickelson winning was probably the best part, right? Because Phil Mickelson, I'm pretty sure he's never even looked at a green reading book. Phil is the original Picasso, in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. love him, hate him, whatever. The guy is so creative and so feel based, and like you brought up Seve Ballesteros before. I mean, Seve, it was all feel. Seve had all sorts of crazy spin rates, and he he just worked it right. He moved the ball. Bubba Watson, Bubba had a great tournament going for a bit this week, and I don't think he finished very well. But it's like Bubba, 
Bubba's never hit a straight shot in his life. You know, he, he doesn't, doesn't know how have, to hit a straight shot. It, it, and he, I he literally love can't. That. And I, I, I love the creative golf rather than just the here's what the numbers say. And when you watch Bryson hit right now, I'm sorry, it's getting a bit uncomfortable with the driver. Like his footwork and his follow through. Like what what teaching professional in this country says, yeah, that's how I want you to do it. Like it it's absolutely insane how hard he's going at it. So I, I do like some of the finesse out there and watching Phil win at the PG I thought was really cool because he's the king of finesse. So is is Bryson in danger of like like Tiger Woods was just ripping at his knees for 10, 15 years, right? And um, and I suppose if you want to get really mechanical, Tiger, the, the biggest difference it seems like, well, there's a lot of differences between Bryson and Tiger's swing for 20 years ago, but Bryson is allowing his front foot to slide open, and so maybe he's not putting as much pressure on it. Like, how long can he continue to swing like that before he needs about 14 surgeries, I guess, is my question. You know, that's a that's a good question. I think Bryson's definitely putting a lot of pressure on on his body. And obviously longevity is going to be the the true test um, for him. Tiger Tiger made changes he needed to change. And if you talk to any one of his instructors, they're all going to tell you he had a different body to work with than the previous person. You know, Butch Harmon had a, a different one. Hank Haney had a different body. They all had something different to work with. So Bryson will be an interesting one. You know, some of the stuff he does with his his left foot, if you kind of if you look back into time, you look at um, old footage of Nicholas Palmer, Hogan Jones, a lot of them kind of let that left foot come up a little bit, which helped their their hip rotation. And it helped them get to the spots they needed to get to a little bit easier. And if you look at Tiger's swing, he never had that. He was a little bit more restrictive when it came to to some of that. So you know it, We've talked about this on the show before. You know, everyone, everybody's body is just different in how it works. And do I love how Bryson's doing this? No, but like, I think this was it seven um, seventeen. He made quad right, but he hit it like three twenty six off the tee in the air, just dead into the rough where he couldn't go anywhere from there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just a different type of golf. Phil, you bring up a great point. I think uh, if Bryson had conversations with Jason Day and Dustin Johnson and Tiger Woods, he'd probably change his tune a little bit on how hard he's swinging because we've watched all of those guys have serious, serious back problems, and it's just not sustainable. Mm -hmm. They just hit too many balls every day, and that's where you look at a guy like Louie. Louie's going to always be around because I don't know that Louie's ever exerted himself. Like he hits it three hundred on a rope, and he didn't even didn't even flinch. Yeah, here's a, here's another hey, interesting Bryson factoid for you guys. How many top ten major finishes do you think he has in his career? Four, two. That's that's my two. guess. It's two. two. That's it. Wow. He won the U.S. Open, and then and then the PGA. He finished tied uh, T four in two thousand twenty. The only two top ten. In, in fact. Um, he only has three top 20 finishes in major championships in his entire career. Interesting. It's just interesting. Whereas Brooks Kepka, on the other hand, a little different story, right? I don't even Slightly. know if Brooks Kepka has made a cut at a regular PGA Tour event. And he's got, what, 15 <laughs> top 10s or top 20s? Yep. I mean, he's been unbelievable. Here was an interesting side note. Brad, you just talked about DJ Dustin Johnson. So officially after the U.S. Open, he just slid into third place all time on the money list. He just took over Ferex. Now it's Tiger, Phil, DJ. Wow. 
what does what does DJ go out and do? He invests with a family, Wayne Gretzky, um, who he knows a little bit, and Steve Nash, and they go invest in a Las Vegas lacrosse team. Yeah. After he's won his seventy, I think he, I think he just hit seventy two million dollars in career earnings. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the, the funny part is is that we talk about the the PGA Tour money, and we uh, we know though that there's so much more money outside of PGA Tour, right? A lot of it is from oh, yeah. all of the endorsements and all the other gigs, and yeah, I mean, look, Ricky Fowler hasn't made a check in almost a year, it seems like, and yet he's bringing in millions. So it's uh, there's it's they interesting. I think Ricky just announced, was it today? They're having a baby in November. Yeah. So we'll see how his life changes now a little bit. Those uh, Bahama uh, boys trips may be a little different coming up. I think it's just Smiley going at this point. I think Smiley goes by himself <laughs> with a case of Natty Light. Just takes his case of Natty Light and says, it's Where's just, everybody? just me again. And, and I'm pretty sure the other guys have to pay for Smiley to go because I don't think Smiley's made a check in quite a while either. Remember that Masters? There's that Masters where he was in the final group like five years ago or four years ago. He's in the final group and everyone's like, could this be it for Smiley Kaufman? And then we never heard from him again until he surfaced on a Club Pro Guy podcast. I mean, it's... It's unbelievable. It's it's so crazy how one event can make or break you. And I really do think, though, kind of wrap it up this week, John Rahm, this is the door opening. And I think he is just in such a different place now, being married with a kid and everything he experienced at the memorial. I mean, I just think that he is going in an incredible direction. He's going to be really fun to watch. So. Yep. Before we get into the WWE version of this week's show, I do want to remind our listeners, uh, got a little cold over the weekend, but we've got some warm weather coming. And what goes great with warm weather and golf? Corona Premier. So Corona Premier is a sponsor of the 10,000 Swings podcast. They have a wonderful new beer that is 90 calories and 2.6 carbs. So a great beer to drink on the golf course. Uh Awesome stuff. If you like Corona, you will love Corona Premier and uh, even less calories than the original Corona, and you don't even need a lime. So try it out today, Corona Premier. All right. Now, uh, Phil, do you want to do the uh, let's get ready to rumble uh, portion of the of the show? <laughs> I feel. I think every time you do that, uh, doesn't Michael Buffer sue you for a million dollars? Let's get ready to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a just a standard... Corn Ferry Tour Monday qualifier this last week, and I'll, I'm not going to go into all the details, but basically, some words were exchanged, some some comments were made. Somebody's dad was on the bag and he was chirping. And apparently, he's swinging a putter at people. Like, what? The, the, so there's an actual lawsuit, or uh, there's uh, charges were pressed, correct? I I don't know about that because I, I've yeah. <laughs> This is so comical to me, I can't even get past that this happened. But this happened over a lost ball, if I'm not correctly. Like, okay, let's just call it player A, player B here, right? Player A was hitting the ball all over the place, apparently, and player B was not happy with pace of play and et cetera. Yeah. But then player player A says, you could have helped me look for my ball. And player B's caddy, his dad, says, how about you just hit it straight? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a viable it's a viable point it's a viable point. The the some of the the quotes that came out of this uh, were at one point I just basically just stopped fighting back and was telling him, "Dude, get off me! This is stupid. You have no idea what you're doing. You just ruined your entire career." 
Um, again, remember the dad waving the putter around? I can just see the dad waving the putter around. Like, what are we doing? This, this is, is genius. This is like when you when you you know, there's all these minor league hockey leagues, right? The the AHL, the USHL, and nobody knows who any of the players are, and the teams are all just like random. But you know, you're you're guaranteed one thing when you go to a minor league hockey game: a brawl of some kind, right? Like someone's throwing down. At a minor league hockey game, and so you go and see it. You pay a couple bucks, get a cup, bring the kids, and you're going to see some guys throw down and some sticks being tapped. Right? This is a genius marketing play for the Corn Ferry Tour. Listen, you have no idea who any of these players are, and none of them are going to win a major ever, and most of them are never going to play a PGA Tour event. But you know what? They might fight each other on the 16th. So you got to stay tuned to CornFerryTour.com's semi-pixelated online stream. This, I mean, this to me, all goes back to this is Happy Gilmore and Bob Barker <laughs> on, on, on the green. You want a piece of me? That, no, I other. want the whole thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? This could be genius for this premier golf league that we keep talking about. And we kind of reference how we'll make, we got Bryson, you've got uh, Brooks, you've got feuds coming out. Well, hell, let's put some fighting into this. Let's, let's okay, legit come out with something super cool. Legit question, because this, this came up now that, like, boxing's kind of been on life support for years, right? Like, when all of us were growing up, we kind of caught the tail end of, like, Mike Tyson's relevance in the 90s and Holyfield, right? But, but boxing yep. has been overtaken by mixed martial arts and UFC and all these other uh, entities. Well, recently, there's been some, like, Floyd Mayweather always dupes people into spending some money, uh, but you've had Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather fight a YouTuber. You had That's me. Yep, me too. You I, I pay the money. <laughs> you had Conor McGregor uh, come out of UFC to fight. Like, there's all these sort of, um, I don't know what you would call it, all these sort of like tricked up, not really boxing matches. And then I think we had Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson against, who was it? Uh, Shane Mosley or something, right? Here's my question Would you rather pay 50 bucks to watch the top two heavyweights that you've never really, like, you don't care about? Like Tyson Fury against some other guy, like pay fifty bucks, or would you pay fifty bucks to watch Bryson DeChambeau fight Brooks Kepka in a boxing match? Fifty? I don't know how much more I would pay to watch 50? Brooks and Bryson. <laughs> at least three hundred, and I don't want him in a. I don't. I want him on a course. I want him on a green, and I want him to start scuffing because Bryson's going to obviously drag his metal spikes, right? And I want the soup to come out with like a sprinkler and just go, you know, or a hose and just try to hose him down. And you know, this Brooks is what just, boxing should be, right? This is what like boxing needs to get away from like tacticians and these guys you never heard of. No, this boxing should be. Here's a here's a hundred dollar pay per view, and it's two famous people that are here to settle a beef, and they're both going to come away making like fifty million dollars because we're all going to pay for it. Like that's what boxing should be, and I'm here for it. Dude, dude I paid. This is probably ten years ago. I paid like a hundred and fifty bucks to watch Mayweather knock out Ricky Hatton in like was that round two? Yeah, it sucked, and I watched the whole HBO series up to it. So now I'm also paying for my HBO. I think that's also the last time Floyd Mayweather knocked somebody out in a fight, like 13 years ago. And yet, you know, right? I'm still, yet I'm still, still buying. I'm still paying for this yep. crap. But it, okay, Brooks Bryson, Brad, you're going to 300 on that. I I'm going to come over to your house then because I'm going to pay a hell of a lot more to watch this. That is fight. this is gonna, like I love these little showdowns. Like we're going to get this one on July 6th with. 
uh, Mickelson and Aaron Rodgers and Bryson, right? And that's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to hear Bryson in, in what should be loosey goosey mode. I don't know if he if he has that. Like if they were to evolve that, in, like at the turn. So we're gonna play eighteen, and at the turn for twenty minutes, two golfers are gonna settle a score, and maybe they're corn fairy guys. It doesn't matter. Like I don't care. Like, <laughs> I just think the funniest part about this whole corn fairy thing is the dad. The dad was screaming like the dad is a hundred, and they showed the dad like in his you know in his business suit mugshot, and I'm like, you can just see this guy is a total. Total weeds. Like the poor kid's having a bad day, right? Like don't don't razz him, don't push him. And then the dad, you know, the dad and the son obviously are both going off. It is just I thought it was just hilarious. It's sad. So the question I have, Phil, at what point because you're not a very serious golfer, you know, like David and I are a lot more likely to break a club than you are because we have higher expectations. You're sure. more of a yeah, I, I used to personality. get mad. I, I used to get super mad. Then I realized I mean, I'm shooting 94. Like, what do I? It's like, what is it? What's the difference? If I shoot 87, my life's not different. So I'm just going to go enjoy the sunshine. So, Phil, my question to you is: What would it take for you to throw down fisticuffs? Like, what would have to happen on the golf course to make you say, "All right, game on"? It almost, legitimately, it almost happened about three years ago. Um, I think it was, I think we were playing Les Bolstad, the U of M course over off, um, Hennepin or whatever, Larpenter. And, and it's, it's very few things, but this is, this is one of like two things, right? So, uh, it's, it's a foursome of friends. So, so me and, and three buddies, and then there's a group behind, it's crowded, like, and there, and there's a group somewhat behind us. And I can't remember which hole it was, but there's a hole and I'm 80% sure it was Les Bolstad, but there's a hole it's a par four. Do- it's downhill, dogleg to the right, and there's a bunch of trees. You can hit a cut shot over the trees, um, or you can just hit the ball like down the left, down the hill, and then have a little wedge into the green. But you kind of lose sight of the people that, like, once they tee off, you kind of lose sight. Like, you can't really see the green. It's kind of a blind shot. So you got to be careful. Like, if you see someone tee off, like, you should at least make sure it's all clear, right? So uh, so we all hit our tee shots and they're kind of scattered and um, and I, and then I think we we had all hit our approach shots and we start driving and and my, the cart that I was in was coming from like the edge of the tree line so we come out edge of the tree line to the fairway as we're driving out sideways a drive from the tee box literally hits the brim of my cap so I'm so I'm driving and the and the ball comes and whizzes and hits the brim of my cap and then shoots out the front of the golf cart. And of course, like if that ball is two inches left or right, like I I don't know, could I have died? I guess I guess I could have died in that moment. And so when those guys came down, like the other three had to calm me down. I was ready to rumble, but that's about the only time. And I think it was justified. Like, what are you guys doing? You almost killed somebody at Les Bolstad. I mean, I love that course, but we're all here drinking Coors Lights and Corona Premiers. And uh, having a good time, like just wait two seconds. They were very apologetic, but we all <laughs> we didn't want to hear it. <laughs> were they not able to yell four? Were they was no, that... no. I mean, the guy peered his drive down the middle, and we were driving across the fairway, so he didn't think like okay. that he needed to yell four because for whatever reason he thought it was all clear. Uh, and they felt terrible, but we weren't in the mood to hear their apologies. We just wanted to yell and scream obscenities at them, so that's what we did. <laughs> Wow, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back about twenty. Oh boy, over twenty years on this, but I've had, I've actually had an altercation on the golf course. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 
I'm, I was playing at a local. I'm going to refrain from saying the golf course's name, but I had I was playing in a uh, a golf tournament, and the you've seen like the mechanical electronic bins where you get range balls from. You put in your coins and your tokens, and you get the balls out. Well, it wasn't working. And wait, wait, you get an altercation out. on the range? This is next level here. Yeah, the, oh yeah, no, this isn't even golf course. We're on the driving range. I'm pre-tournament at this point. And by the way, this is section, so this is not a good time to to have this happen. And the machine's not working, but the lid to the top of the machine is open. And I've got like 20 minutes before my tea time. So I take the bucket and I scoop out the balls, as does everybody else on the on the range. I mean, we're 17 years old. What else are we going to do? We're not going to go back in and complain and try your money back. And so I go warm up and the guy gets done picking the range and comes in and just lividly starts screaming at me for stealing range balls. What? And how I how I owe money for every single person that followed after me. I'm, I, this is a, what, 25 years ago? This is what, an $8.50? Yeah, yeah, $8 an hour job. And I'm getting screamed at by this guy before sections for stealing range balls. And I actually had, not that I had any intent to hit or fight, but I had some teammates that had to hold me back a little bit because of... <laughs> <laughs> this got this got really heated over a three dollar and fifty cent bucket of range balls. <laughs> so, wait, Brandy, so wait, so wait, so, to... so sections are taking place, and they're not just allowing you to hit range balls for free. Like you would to pay well, the, for the, range balls at sections. Yeah, the team the team would pay for them. So my coach would go in, he'd go buy the tokens, and, and that's still a common practice today. So he'd give us the tokens, but then the tokens wouldn't work in the machine, and the lid was open. I'm 17 years old. What else am I going to do? I'm going to take the range balls. And next thing you know, we've got that. Um, by the way, I went out and shot um, 92 that day because <laughs> I was a little flustered, and I did not qualify for state. <laughs> I, I knew where this story was going because every every golfer has an excuse why they didn't make it through the qualifier. So I love that uh, when you go home, hey, mom and dad, I had this moment where my teammates had to hold me back. Oh, and by the way, I shot 92. But it was because of this guy, this jerk that said I was stealing range balls. That's Brandy, you, I never, ever do anything on the golf course that wasn't somehow the fault of something else. Like, it's just... Cor- it's, correct. That's that's how it works. I uh, we have to take ownership in it, but that's uh, that is a legendary story. So, did you go like full puff chest? Did you do like a Superman or like what did you do with this guy? Like what what was your approach? Do you remember? I, I do. So, like I was super heated in the moment, and he was the one that actually kind of came after me a little bit. And I made sure I threw my golf club down to not do anything super stupid here. And I just. I can't say everything that was said, and I do remember it very vividly. Um, there were some F words involved between the two of us. Um, I tried walking. <laughs> Furic, right? I feared him. <laughs> and uh, I just remember two teammates just, just pulling me back, and they're like, dude, this isn't worth it. But, man, I, never to place an excuse on something that comes to golf. It's my own golf game. But I was so heated going into that. Like, I... Dude, I'm 17 years old. I'm just trying to hit balls before a sectional golf tournament. That's well, it. MSHSL usually invokes a two-stroke penalty for every time you swear. So maybe that's why you shot 92. Maybe we just change the story to, hey, I shot 70, but I got 22 strokes and penalties <laughs> for Effenheimer's on the range because this guy was in my grill because his range machine wasn't working. I was just trying to problem solve. And 
Oh man, that is that is incredible. Well, I tell you what, as we transition into uh, local and try to wrap up the show here, we got to talk about this state high school tournament last week. So the weather's been incredible. It's the scores have been going low. I don't know if I'm just getting old or these kids are just that much better than we were, but this is ridiculous. They're, so they're that much better than we were in triple A girls. Golf. And they were getting it. They were getting into fights on driving ranges. They're <laughs> yeah, they're focused on golf. Um, <laughs> Triple A girls golf. Isabella McCauley, who we just had on the show, just played in the U.S. Women's Open. Couldn't play sections because she was playing in the Women's Open. Her sister Reese goes out and shoots five under for two days as a freshman at Bunker Hills. Are you kidding me? Like, and she barely won. It was a really tight race. So that was in Triple A girls. So shout out to Reese McCauley. Awesome win. And then on the boys' side for Triple A, um, Maple Grove boys shot 283 the second day. So five under par the second day. Uh, a good friend of the show from Rush Creek, Ryan Stendhal, shoots a 69 the second day as a freshman. So Maple Grove wins the boys by quite a bit. And uh, they had five seniors this year. And then Ryan, the freshman, who went 79-69. Nate Stevens from Northfield, who unfortunately is not staying to be a gopher, but he's going to Notre Dame. He goes out and shoots 10 under at Bunker. Phil, could you imagine being a junior in high school and shooting 10 under at the state golf tournament and only winning by two like these kids are unbelievable no i can't imagine that i did one time slice a drive into uh, the fourth floor of an office uh building window in st cloud when i was a junior in high school and then just ran (laughs) to the parking lot and left uh so um yeah tough to imagine tough to imagine (laughs) that's fantastic so Phil, as we've, uh, I know you've been on some journeys around Seattle since you moved out there and been supporting some local businesses. Uh, Brandy and I, every week, we want to keep talking about a local business we supported, and I will start off. I just played a two-day pro-am the last two days up at Grandview Lodge. So we had the preserve on Sunday, uh, the pines on Monday. Sunday was a complete rain the entire round, over an inch of rain. But what made the trip worth it one Zorba's Pizza. Oh, oh that, that's yeah. gonna bring you home oh. just for that, right, Phil? But oh. at all of the Grandview properties, they sell the Von Hansen's flavored pretzels. So similar to like a Dots pretzel, but they're different flavors, and they have a tangy mustard flavor that's out of this world. And it comes in a nice little uh, container that you can actually put the lid back on. So unlike a weird bag of pretzels where they get stale, you get to put that seal back on, and you, oh, you know yeah. you just have five, you know five pretzels yeah. per beer. It's kind of talk to us. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you with the food porn music here, Brad. This is. <laughs> Yes. I'm telling you though, you take your Corona Premier and you throw a couple of tangy mustard, Von Hansen's seasoned pretzels, and you are you're at a great place. So Grandview Lodge, Von Hansen's, uh, some really, Zorba's, some fun fun local places. Brandy, anything uh, good local this weekend? Yeah, actually, and I'm going up to the same area you were. I was up north in my parents' uh, cabin for the weekend. And we need a little bit of a, a boat repair. We need a cover done for a motor. Cross Lake Canvas and Upholstery. The website's uh, crosslakecanvases.com. They do awesome work. They, they'll do stuff for outdoor furniture, for canopies, all sorts of stuff. Dave Gon is the owner of the, the company, and nobody cares more about boats than he does. So Cross Lake Canvas and Upholstery is my one up there. I did not make it to get that pretzel, but Grandview is... 10 minutes down the road so i can promise you when i'm up over there 
over the fourth. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to hit you guys also with uh, a Minnesota-based company here. And I don't, don't want to give too much information away here, but I am rocking the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs I have ever worn in my life, courtesy of Chill Boys, which is a Minnesota-St. Paul-based company, uh, chillboys.com. And I caught word that uh, they are regular listeners of Purple Daily, our daily Viking show. And so we, we struck a little partnership, and they're going to jump on board in July. They sent out a couple pair to try, and uh, like I, I'm just wandering around with chill boys and some ankle socks. Like I don't need anything else. It's so comfortable, legitimately. Chill boys, uh, St. Paul based, and uh, they're blowing up around the country now. So if you're looking for a, if you know it's, if it's heating up out there in the summer months, and you're looking for a, a chill feeling. Chill boys. Are you, Phil, 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 are you telling me you're doing this podcast right now in a pair of boxers and a shirt? Mm. Uh, that is correct. That is correct, <laughs> my friend. And, and I just want to kind of summarize our three personalities. So, um, Branny is talking about repairs. I'm talking about food, and Phil's talking about undies. So this is this is where we're at as human beings. Um, if if you don't like us, that, that's it is what it is. But we're we're just people, just like you. Uh, we all eat our our tangy mustard pretzels different ways, right? So uh, that's pretty awesome stuff, Phil. We can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, we always love uh, bantering with you about the majors, and uh, excited to hear that. Uh, Chill Boys is uh, coming out uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Pretty cool new company locally, so that's great. And uh, we really appreciate your time. Dude, uh, we'll do it again. The Open Championship at, uh, is it Royal St. George's in about a month from now? Looking forward to some some windy, cloudy, and dark conditions most likely. And we'll see what the scores wind up being. And waking up at 4 a.m. Um, well, for, well, for yeah, for you guys, oh, for me, for me, it'll be about staying up till two a.m. <laughs> it's it's always a fun tradition to get up for the get up early for the British. So kind of missed that last year. I'm excited to have that back, and I know it was a huge win for Shane Lowry in 2019. And you know, it's weird when a guy's a, a major champion, like defending champion for a full two years. Mm-hmm. So it should be uh, it should be fun to chat again. Um, also, we want to thank our sponsors: Jarrett Yalen with Northwestern Mutual, PXG. The 3M Open, the Meadows at Mystic Lake, and Corona Premier. Uh, we appreciate everything that you guys are doing for us. And as always, you can connect with us via email at 10kswings at scorenorth.com. Please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Score North, wherever you get it, and give us a five-star rating. For next week, episode 18, we will have Michael Tidd on the show to discuss custom clubs, custom stamping, and all sorts of fun things with golf clubs. Until next week, friends, I'm Brad Cole. I'm David Branstead. And I'm Phil and I'm Phil Mackey. That's right. (laughs) Cheers all.